Hey everyone, welcome to episode 164 of the MTG Grandcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Apple, with me is Lee McLeod. Hey Lee! Hey Chris, how's it going? It's going fine. I am pretty exhausted after moving over the past couple of days, so I'm very happy to be done with the with the actual moving part. I got plenty of unpacking and sorting and stuff to do, but you know, that... It, I'm under no time crunch to do that, so it's a relief. Yeah, I liked the when we were doing the top eight commentary for the Manor Traders tournament this weekend. We were designing the schedule around Collins being able to step out after the semifinals, <laughs> so he could just pack. Yes. So. Yeah, I mean the rough part of the whole thing was like our move out date was the day after the Manor Traders tournament. And so, I mean, I'm glad to be out of the house now and don't have moving ahead of me, but it it really messed up the timeline for that. I was very tired yesterday. Yeah. You post on Twitter, your skin hurt. Is your skin feeling better? I don't know why. It felt like I felt like I was sunburned, but like I hadn't really been outside that much. It just like didn't feel good. I was just so tired or something. I... It was, it was really weird. I didn't feel good after moving. <laughs> but you're all good now? Oh, yeah, I'm fine now. Oh, perfect. I've just been over here, my little existence, toiling away, being that a little sad terrible. wizard's decisions. Oh, yeah, there's plenty to be sad about. Did you know they were trending on Twitter on Monday? They were just actual tw- trending. For? Uh, everything. Because that was the that was the announcement of the bands and the secret lair, and okay. all of that like press just generated so many people to talk about it that they just started trending on Twitter. <laughs> well, I think that you know I kind of put down in the notes doing this in the opposite order, but probably that's just the most in front of us thing is that stuff. I kinda... So maybe we should just start off talking about that. Nah, let's 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 stick it because I feel like we could talk about the other stuff for forever. All right. Okay. I mean, I am more excited to talk about that stuff, but the modern stuff is really cool too. You gotta save your desserts modern... for after dinner. Sure, sure. All right. So we are going to talk about modern first because we watched the Mana Traders tournament. We commentated it, and. Modern is very cool. There's a lot of neat stuff going on. So it is fun to talk about and really interesting to watch it develop. Um, then we're going to talk about Standard and the singular ban that they announced on Monday and the effects of that and whether it doesn't go too far enough. We're also going to talk about the Secret Lair, which I think actually has significantly more potential for like damaging Magic the Gathering long term than this like bad ban that they're not doing a good job of communicating about so but uh we'll get to that in a little bit (laughs) lots to unpack there yeah for sure want to start off with modern yeah of course modern is like the oasis in this desert of horrific design mistakes recently (laughs) because all the formats and legacy too honestly but like for the longest time standard and pioneer have been just trash and modern's kind of this shining little place where there's a little spring amongst all the sand. It's very nice. Well, yeah, modern and legacy can absorb these things because so many of the design mistakes have been gigantic four mana Moldrifter Baneslayer angels, and the power level of modern and legacy is high enough that it, that like four mana is so much that they can kind of absorb 
any any number of broken four mana cards really yeah and it's cool that the the card we saw see the most play in modern from the mm-hmm. new set was actually a two mana card it was scourge of the skyclaves yes that card impressed for sure oh yeah it's part of the new Rakdos shadow deck which mm-hmm. is it's kind of the old yeah. Luris prowess deck but yeah instead of playing Luris and like the grindy abbots and stuff like that cling to dust you're really just playing a bunch of shadows and just trying to get them dead they're still playing Luris though they just aren't playing the like cards that are kind of only good because you have access to Luris. Yeah, they're playing the backup Luris instead of like the I'm gonna put, try to cast Luris this game. Yeah, yeah. the The deck is very, very capable of winning, probably the majority of the times that it wins without ever putting Luris into its hand. Yeah, or or it puts it into hand, but then draws a card that it would rather play every turn. So. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it's a lot of the cards from the. Rakdos Luris deck that you would expect. It's it's the prowess guys, the prowess one drops, and thought seizes and lava darts and lightning bolts, and then it's got death shadows and scourge of the sky claves as the non prowess threats. Death shadow because it just kind of works. You can make yourself lose that much life, and then the scourge of the skyclave is nice because it goes along really well with the death shadow plan you're not just losing life to make your death shadows big you kind of got eight copies of that effect as long as you're also pressuring your opponent's life total which your eight prowess dude deck is not bad at doing yeah that's the really important part of that card it's it's cool that you can you know sometimes it's really difficult to play early death shadows because a lot of your cards can you like 13 exactly and you can't play zero zero death shadow Mm-hmm. But if your first turn is like play a swift spear, attack them, and your second turn you can just play out your one one if you really want to, and then next turn mm-hmm. set up for like an attack for seven or eight, that's like pretty good value. Yeah, definitely. It's so the text of Scourge of the Skyclave, for anybody who doesn't know, it is one in a black, and its power and toughness are equal to twenty minus the highest life total among players. So as long as you've each taken some amount of damage, it can at least come into play. And then once it's in play, you can usually figure out a way to make it big enough to really affect the game. And you do have to be careful with the incidental life game spells people are playing. Like, if your opponent's at 18 and then they play an Uro, your Skyclaves just die. Right, right. So you absolutely do have to be keeping track of that and not allowing that to happen. That's why I think, you know, Blessed Alliance was always good against the Death Shadow decks anyways, and I think it's particularly powerful against this version of the deck. Yeah, because you can actually gain the life and kill their creatures. Right, and it still kills their guy. <laughs> but yeah, this deck looked quite powerful, very consistent, very efficient, almost all one-mana spells, and then can... It's not as grindy as, like, the Cling to Dust Luris deck, but it can do Luris stuff, and... You know, the one of Crypt of Agadim is nice. Sometimes you draw that and put two two threats into play. But usually it's just a land that gives you the ability to bolt yourself, which is totally fine in a shadow deck. And yeah, just a solid aggressive deck with Thought Seizes and Giant Threats. And Scourge, you know, was a 10-10 in the late game of pretty reasonable amounts of the time. And when you have Team or Battle Rage in your deck, that can allow you to kill pretty much anybody. I think what's what makes this deck strong is that it's just very aggressive and the team or battle mm-hmm. rages you draw are just almost never dead yeah because in grixis shadow a lot of times if your shadow was dealt with you'd like have a gurmag angle backup plan which mm-hmm. is okay but there's a difference on putting double strike and trampler on a five five and like on a seven seven eight eight or a nine nine <laughs> it's yeah, a huge difference. for sure 
probably a turn or a win. And that that's why I think it's so good. You can even battle rage onto a like if you have a prowess guy and a, you have a lava dart and a team or battle rage, like that's a fine battle rage. Oh, and we also and, should mention the uh the like battle rage combo with Skyclave or Scourge of the Skyclave. Right. Where if you deal first strike damage to them, it grow and you're you have a low life total, it grows your Scourge of the Skyclave before normal damage. Yeah. I, I think it's pretty rare that the teamer battle rage Scourge of the Skyclave combo is not lethal. That's that's generally gonna get them. It's so Yeah, it's gonna be lethal a vast majority of the time. Yeah, so this deck was really impressive. I, I think that at this moment it is among the best decks in modern. And in our tournament, it and humans were the two most heavily played deck. And both of those kind of disruptive aggro decks had extremely good records over the weekend, both posted in the high 50%, 57 or 58% win rate, and looked good when we got them on camera. Yeah, and humans, we've seen forever. It's the same deck. Mm-hmm. And it just like hasn't changed that much, and it still performs very well. Yeah. Yeah, you get like a general Kudro or two in there, and that's about the only update. And but twenty twenty hasn't been for human cards, but it still kept up. Even though we did have a human theming portion of a set, but just none of you know one of those cards did make it. So good, yeah. That that's that's a pretty decent rate. It's the Lord that gets rid of their Uro, so you can really close them out. Occasionally, got rid of uh, Prize Amalgams, and it was fantastic too. Yes. Uh, Speaking of Uro. Uro was not particularly particularly successful in our tournament or in the other weekend tournaments that I was looking at. But it was played heavily, which is yes. interesting. Well, it was good for a solid stretch in Modern there where you just... People were kind of slowing things down and it was fine to play a bunch of counter spells and then Uro as your endgame engine. If the two most heavily played decks are a Thoughtseize, Death Shadow, Prowess, Aggro deck, and then a thalia meddling mage thalia's lieutenant like you're not gonna do so good if you have multiple counter spells in your hand against either of those decks which is why like if you're gonna play an uro deck you probably need to evolve your deck past just a load of blue cards Mm -hmm. like the one we saw in the mana traders top eight was mostly jeskai based like with lightning bolts and paths in the main deck it it really wanted to be on the board yeah, if you want to play a removal version of the deck, then you're probably in a much better position, at least against these decks, but then your answers aren't as generic when you play against the stuff that you weren't particularly targeting. But you certainly are better against Mantis Rider when you have Lightning Bolt in your deck. And if, I mean, control decks are going to have to adapt week in and week out. They just can't mm-hmm. play a 4 Archmage's Charm every week anymore because everyone else is. I think we're right. past that stretch of the format. <laughs> Yeah, well, generally, and it may just be slow evolution in the face of the format switching to being a couple of specific categories of proactive decks, and they just didn't quite adapt in time, but we didn't see reactive decks do particularly well in any of the tournaments that we were looking at. Yeah. You know, we had that one deck in our top eight, but looking at stuff like the challenge here, you know, this is... Death Shadow, Spirits, Amulet, and another iteration, Coert top aided this challenge as well. <laughs> with the Hardened Scales. With Hardened Scales, Heliod Collected Company. So congrats to Coert on, on doubling up. Did they change anything? It looks about uh, the same, actually. It might no, be... Yeah, it looks 
basically the same. It even has the double Oriac champion still. Yeah, did did they have two Oriac champions in the board last weekend? Uh, it was in the main deck. So, so I mean, they've got a two-two now, so they two, may two. have oh, added I some sideboard. Maybe I don't remember Oriac the champions very well. I was too enamored with the main deck last time. Yeah, well, we are at a point in modern where you know we we break down like the most commonly played cards and most commonly played sideboard cards in our tournament, and. You know, so like Lightning Bolt is the most commonly played card in Modern. Most people could tell you that without a graphic being put up to tell you that. But the sideboard cards were really, really interesting. Oriok Champion was like fourth on the list of most heavily played sideboard cards because it is very good against these red-black aggressive creature decks. That's it's it's a card that you want there, and it also slotted really well in as a sideboard card into decks like Humans. To go slightly off the topic of the decks that we're talking about, Cleansing Wildfire was actually the most heavily played sideboard card in our tournament. That is kind of wild to me, because mm-hmm. at first blush, it's not really good against anything. Well, it's extremely good, and this doesn't necessarily matter right now, but it's definitely extremely good against Tron. Like Yes, <laughs> But what's Tron good against? That's the problem. There's not a ton of Tron happening right it's, now. It's good it, in the Field of the Dead mirrors. It was really important there. But those decks mm-hmm. are all losing right now. So it's kind of without a home as in a sideboard to me. I think, yeah. I mean, it might be a little bit of a like new toy that has some application and is very powerful in certain matchups. The matchups where it's really good are the no land quote unquote matchups it's just a stone rain for two mana draw card against (laughs) like belcher and whatever against belcher and oops all spells like it's very very good there not not super great on the draw against oops all spells because like if they get down a pentad prism and then you're you stone rain one of their lands like you still die on the next turn but I know Aspiring Spike has been messing around with uh, Cleansing Fire Flagstones in, your, in a mm-hmm. control shell, so you can just like untap play Jace on turn three or whatever. Yeah, and that seemed interesting, but I don't know if that converts to being useful enough when you don't have Flagstones. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly. I, I was impressed with that deck. It looked quite good for you know a just guy control to fairy hero of Dominaria deck in modern, like as good as that type of deck can look to me. I think that the main takeaway from Cleansing Wildfire being heavily sideboarded is don't play a Tron deck. Think hard before you play a like an amulet type deck. I I don't know if people were bringing them in specifically. I, I like it's probably a fine card against these many color Uro decks with Field of the Dead in them because late game you can get their field which would take over the game otherwise and buy yourself a lot of time to like do your thing some more or make them not able to just get value off of every single card that they draw because it at least makes zombies. Uh, and also, those decks are a lot of colors and do not have Astrolabe to fix their mana anymore, so you probably do find some utility in that matchup. I Yeah, I agree. It's really good in those matchups. Can I aside this aside? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the Field of the Dead decks in these Uro... Or Field of the Dead in these Uro decks is really, really good. I think that's actually what makes the control decks very strong right now. Mm-hmm. And we saw some people just play like a one of our promise to get their Field of the Deads online faster in their control shell. And I really liked that. I think mm-hmm. people should try to do more of that 
making sure you have Field of the Dead as part of your main primary game plan every single game without needing to draw like so much dead air in, in between. Yeah. I wonder if you can play a cleansing wildfire field field of the dead flagstones of trocare deck you could probably make it happen there are a lot of various planes right you can even play, you can right. even get rogren triome with flagstones yeah exactly i did see a list that somebody was i i, I think aspiring spike posted it on twitter trying out a list that's like a geist of saint traft stoneforge mystic deck that well but you'll like this Stoneforge Mystic is getting Maul of the Skyclave to put onto Geist of St. Traff for free. Right. And, but the thing that was really cute about it is that Flagstones can get a Triome that... I mean, I think this is pro, this is too cute. This is too far, <laughs> but it is very cute. Which is that Sacrificing Flagstones can get the Triome that's giving you the other colors. And I'm not remembering names of Triomes and stuff. Rogren is Jeskai. Yeah, so it's getting... Uh, like the team, one of the other triumphs to put you at five land types to for tribal flames. <laughs> oh so. my god! <laughs> okay, that is too cute. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. It's like it's all the cute. cute interactions. You're like, all right, I'm gonna violin my mole, attach it to my geist, play my fifth land type, tribal flames. You, your opponent's just like, what are you doing? <laughs> all that work. And Tribal Flames still doesn't kill an Uro. Yeah, oh, no. Well, it goes face, so you're trying to kill yes. them with your flying well, angels. But not, not if they have an Uro, you can't go face with a burn spell. That's why you need those Maul of the Skyclaves on the Geist. Right. That is, what, 8 damage in the air? Plus 5 is 13. They've got to be dead. Yeah, I mean, Maul on Geist is very powerful. Yeah, I mean, it is. But I don't want to play any of those cards at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean, this is not a deck that, like, this is obviously a deck that was posted on Twitter by a player that I do respect, but it's not like there are results backing up this deck or anything like that. It's, that, that's it's not. probably like, look at this neat interaction, and then they kept going down that rabbit hole over mm-hmm. and over and over again. And the deck is probably fun when it all comes together, but whew, drawing some of those, like, Geist of St. Traft is a card I haven't played in Modern since, like, 2012. Right, and I, I think that that is one of the things is you do need to maximize your deck towards Geist of St. Traft if you're going to be playing it at this point. Like, it is really powerful, but in ways that... Like, the control decks have a lot of blockers. Like, you can't Geist them late game because they have 2-2 zombies. Like, you have to keep all of that in mind. Um, Yeah, so generally, Modern has looked like a very assertive format. Nothing new for Modern. Several different angles... Those disruptive aggressive decks for this weekend were quite strong. They were just disrupting on the right axes and putting pressure into place. Obviously, either Death Shadow or humans don't have a problem on a problem with killing by turn four if they have to, and they can stop you from killing them back. Some other interesting stuff that's happening are the various oops all spells decks. The Belcher decks, we didn't really see do anything. The Undercity Informant slash Balustrade Spy version of the Oops All Spells deck didn't have a an incredible win percentage, but we did see Adam Wasper Moses just kind of walk through most of the tournament into the semifinals with that deck. Yeah, I think both of those decks are like really high rolly decks in that most tournaments they'll have 
basically just belcher win rates right like Mm -hmm. really low win rates but if you're on a hot streak you're gonna crush the tournament and i really wanted adam to win because you don't like you play those decks and you might win the entire tournament but the next time you play it you're gonna go three you know right i i think i strongly prefer the the undercity combo to belcher yes just because very few things need to actually go right especially game one for you to win the game all you need is mana and to resolve your four and you're done like that's it and that is easier than getting to seven casting and activating belcher which is only a four of in the deck you've got eight of them in the oops all spells deck so barring other input into what's happening like i think it's just objectively a more powerful game one deck more consistent easier to do and and kills when you do the thing just as often yeah the only upside to playing the char belcher deck is that it has access to blood moon and chalice of the void which mm-hmm. means you know it's like not as consistent comboing but it's going to try to lock your opponent out with one of those two cards as like kind of a win condition yeah but i think that's just not a good strategy at base value because you're playing matchup lotteries already with your deck, and then you're introducing this new lottery variant in your mm-hmm. Blood Moon Chalice shell. Sure. Which is not something I'm a huge fan of when you're still equally vulnerable in game two to the as the other deck. And the other deck's yeah. game one is so much better. Yeah. Yeah. That is pretty much exactly my feeling on it. The Undercity combo version, you can sideboard into Belcher for games two and three. Obviously, you can't belch and you can't cast Belcher and belch on the same turn very often, but you're playing a slower game and you're hoping that, oh yeah, they drew surgical and whatever, and, and so they're not killing me that quickly, but they are stopping me from killing them. Here's a Belcher, let me kill you with it. In an open deckless tournament, you get the advantage of knowing, like, do they have graveyard hate? How much are they bringing in against me? But your opponent then also has the advantage of knowing how many belchers you've got and then if you do combo in a post board game they get to see your your configuration but that only matters if you didn't if they stole game one so that's not that big of a deal yeah and yeah no not that big of a deal i would urge people like if they like this style of deck just not to give it a shot whatever if you want to play it Mm -hmm. but not to hang any kind of like high tournament hopes on it yeah it's kind of like neoform to me where you can win a tournament with this deck if you get you get the light, right side of variance in the tournament and in your deck. But just like Neo Brand, I think this Undercity deck, if it ever becomes like actually consistent enough or good, it should not be in the format, just like Neoform. Yes. Yes, I, I completely agree. But this is a little easier to directly hate out, because yeah. like a surgical extraction makes the combo not happen. Tormont script too. Yep. Plenty of zero mana spells you can play that make your opponent unable to win. Yep, yep. So, and Neoform requires some particular interaction, usually involving mana, although Force of Negation is effective, but... The... I keep remembering the game where I mulligan to... It was either four or three on the draw to get a Grafticker's Cage in my hand. Found mm-hmm. the Graft Digger's Cage, then died on turn one. <laughs> and this was in Paper Magic, so you wasted a lot of oh, time. Oh, I wasted a lot of time, that. and then my opponent also wasted a lot of time, because it's not deterministic. 
Sure. Yeah. So they had to actually play out the whole thing. And it took like, <laughs> you know, 10 minutes. So I was just dead. <laughs> so dumb. Kind of interesting. I, I mean, it might just be that there's no room like in the mana base for it. But there's no turn timber symbiosis in most of these neoform decks. And it may just be that the list is just too tight and you can't quite fit it in. The mana base needs to be pretty much all lands that make both blue and green. Mm -hmm. But having a card that both is a land and also you can exile to Nourishing Shoal or to Allosaurus Rider seems like it should be an upgrade to this deck. But maybe I'm wrong. Like uh, Yeah, I think I know you just like it's gotta be good, right? The people not just I mean, experimented with it, they're just kind of set in... I mean, it's a pretty tight shell. It is. You know, there's only 13 actual lands in the deck. There's one forest, which you, I guess, need in case your Gristlebrand gets pathed or something like that. I don't really know why there's a forest in the deck, to be quite honest. All these cleansing uh, wildfires. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not certain that the two-mana land destruction spell is the plan against Neoform. No, probably not. I, I don't know why this deck doesn't play turn, tim turn Timber Symbiosis. It's a little bit of a... It sounds like a free inclusion to me, but who knows? Maybe just people yeah. haven't incorporated that kind of philosophy yet. Yeah, I mean, I, I just... I think over time, more and more slots are going to turn into Mythic. mythic double-faced lands just generally yeah i think so too or we'll keep playing them figure out they're not as good as initially thought and then cut back on them but it seems we're not even doing the second step yet yeah i they've just been like pretty impressive over and over, and over. I, I agree i think they're very good yeah we talked a fair bit about rakdos shadow i i think that deck is really good i mean it's definitely like what i would have played this past weekend interested in seeing how things shake out after that but I, I can't imagine the deck doesn't continue being pretty good for a while or there were a lot of Oriak champions in our tournament and it's still like that wasn't enough to crush this deck i think blessed alliance is really the sideboard card that you kind of want there if you're dedicating a slot to this deck Oriak champion is like pretty good and if it's good with your strat then makes sense but it doesn't there's no it does not beat this deck on its own or anything like that no, and nothing like that. And that's one of the strengths of these kind of like aggressive disruption decks. There's not like one card that just KOs them, even after sideboarding. Mm -hmm. Like it gains some life and blocks one of your guys, but never kills anything that it's blocking. So you can usually and and you can always battle rage it. over it too. Yep, that does require you to have dealt some damage. <laughs> battle mean, yeah. rage gets worse the more times they've triggered their Oriak champion, but. It's it's way better with the shadow draws than the sky scourge of the skyclave draws. I've got to stop yeah. calling that card skyclave because there's like half the cards in that set are called skyclave. <laughs> multiple constructed playable cards now have the word skyclave in them, and like only Maul gives flying. I mean, scourge really looks like it should have flying, so it's got that going for it. I don't know why i don't know what possessed the narrative team to just name everything skyclave just give it a proper and, noun and none of them have like none of the stuff is flying despite having the word sky in part of yeah, the name just like make up a proper noun that's fantasy-ish and just throw it in the title like that's all 
Just don't yep. make me read the word Skyclave over and over again on all these non-flying <laughs> creatures. Let's see, some other takeaways from the modern stuff that we saw. A lot of Gaia's Blessings and OG generation Eldrazi Titans inside boards as pseudo-Gaia's Blessings. People were ready for the 8-crab mill deck, and in our tournament, only like three people showed up and played it. Yeah. And I can't imagine that any of them lasted very long in the tournament. Certainly nope. the win rate of the deck was pretty low. The challenge doesn't have any in the top 32, so either Mill not nearly as beneficial from the Zendikar Rising cards as we thought it would be, or people just respected it so much that they could no longer win. In, in our tournament, it absolutely was a combination of respect just in straight up guys blessings in the sideboard like every of every list that we were looking at during our like pre-show was just like oh and they've got a guy's blessing in the sideboard too one person had two (laughs) yeah just not joking around another part of it was our two most heavily played decks were humans and rakdos prowess shadow so you know mill is never beating either of those decks no too slow it's just non-interactive Thalia and also the card Death Shadow just both are two are basically unbeatable. You gotta throw the crab under the bus very early. <laughs> you when you're playing but, mill, you really want to play against the decks that like don't generate a battlefield presence that quickly, or are dredge. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> like either category is really good for you, and anything that like plays to the board is gonna be pretty bad for you. Like yep, even yep. I so, imagine like even Gruel mid range not that great for Mill even though it's a slower mid range deck because mm-hmm. they just like they're not that vulnerable to Fatal Push or Surgical Extraction so it's just kind of a race matchup and the Mill deck does not really have tools to contain the board presence of even that deck. Yeah, I mean with eight crabs now it might be like pretty even at that point I would think, but I. I I'd have to play the matchup to know, and I'm probably not. Uh, yeah, I'm not gonna. That. I'm not gonna play that matchup. But <laughs> I'd be interested in like hearing some results on that if people have ever right. played it. And and it would be one thing if like after this weekend it was like, oh wow, this mill deck is definitely beating some people. We got, but you know, it didn't show up. I I will take the responsibility to look at it once there is no guy is like a clear indication that. Yeah. Well, yeah, as long as people are just going to slot a guy's blessing. And that's the thing. It's never going to become a major player in the metagame because as soon as it does, it's very easy to fix your mill matchup. Like, there, every, you know, mill is philosophically almost identical to burn, but there's a sideboard card that people can put in their deck that's just like, if there were a sideboard card that were like, once you hit five life, you know, tutor for this from your deck for free and you gain 15 life. Like, okay, well, I guess burn is never playable in modern again. And that's just what Guy's Blessing and what the Eldrazi Titans are. Like, you're spending cards to mill them. You can't do it twice. Yeah. Gotta pick your battles. Gotta wait for the Guy's Blessings to all be gone. And I mean, and, honestly, it'll probably just be next weekend. But then you have to right. figure out if mill is still playable then. And, and if you're going to play against a bunch of Death Shadows, it's it's probably not. Yeah. You got to pick the, the metagame where it's a bunch of big mana or control decks. That's that's your yeah. time to strike. Yeah, Tron is not happy to see this deck, so... Nope. Uh, that's all I really got from Modern. Super interesting format. Lots of decks you can play. I want to shout out, like, real quick. 
the mono white helio deck that we had in oh, our yeah. top eight because it was just like kind of a mono white stuff deck it was kind of like a pioneer deck to be honest <laughs> with modern legal cards like ranger captain of eos is that the name of that card i think so yes yes and also ranger of eos right yeah it had one ranger of eos yeah so that way you could grab walking blista and you have the heliod walking blista combo which is kind of irrelevant but i really liked the combo between walking blista and luminarch aspirate i think is the name of mm-hmm. it which is yeah. the two mana one one that you can put a plus one counter on any creature you control during your combat step mm-hmm. which was really potent with walking blista yeah if in pioneer watsi had banned the correct half of the heliod walking blista combo i would be pretty excited to play some luminarch aspirant walking blista stuff in pioneer with hardened seems... scales and conclave mentor or just yeah, that would be exactly great. yeah I'd, I'd be super into doing that draw our fortified village sigh put it into play tapped <laughs> unfortunately they took our super interesting has been played in many formats in dozens of different types of decks card and left us with a very specific mythic that is in standard purchasable pa- in like it's irrelevant in print it's in in print packs and completely irrelevant to the format and that's why it's illegal in the format so I'm a little bitter about that. Walking Ballista is one of my favorite cards of all time. Oh, I really like Walking Ballista too. It was one of my great regrets not to just instantly buy four of them when it was spoiled. Because <laughs> I had to buy them later on. Yeah, I think I, I bought them at about like $18 a piece or something like that at one point in Standard. I, I have like six or seven now. I just keep picking them up. <laughs> yeah, it just seems like that card should still be legal in Pioneer. And the fact that it's not is extremely disappointing to me yeah it's mostly a fair card i mean it's very mm-hmm. good but you have to like work to make it good yeah and heliod is like a card no one's really attached to because it was printed within the last year and no one has fond memories of it exactly and it just requires such specific things from your deck to make it do anything at all and a thing that, that no one wants to do which is right. play white and gain life well, well we do want to gain life we just want to do it off of our multicolored all stars yeah card advantage cards yeah yeah that deck was very cool unfortunately ran into undercity combo in the quarterfinals of the tournament so oh well so that happens sometimes you know yep yep that'll get you that's all i've got for modern just wanted to call that one out because i liked it sure so on to standard and the ban announcement wizards decided in their infinite wisdom that the card that needed to be banned from standard was exactly Uro Titan of Nature's Wrath and nothing else. The weekend leading up to that ban, the deck that won the standard challenge, piloted by Dylan Donegan, had one Uro in it, and the deck that won the Moto PTQ, piloted by Michael Bonde, was a Teamer Adventures Omnath deck with zero Uros in it. So, you know, Uro probably the problem in this format. So, wait. So, if I'm counting between those two decks, out of a possible eight copies of Uro, there are one? There are one, and you... you How know, many Omnaths were there out of the possible eight? Oh, there were uh, nine or ten out of eight or something <laughs> like that. Really just getting as many Omnaths as we possibly could in there. Extremely clear that Omnath is too powerful for this format. Did you see LSV's tweet today? Because they released a... Uh, a bandwagon him and matt nast did a youtube series and the, was it his tweet about how like 
we were a little worried about the name of the show, but then it turned out that it was really on point, like, five months later. It was, well, specifically, they were worried that the name of the bandwagon, even though it was, like, a pun, was mm-hmm. just going to pigeonhole them to only talking about bands, and it wasn't going to be right. good for a weekly show. But as you know, we just have a band just every get... week. Yeah. <laughs> so... I mean, and we're just going to have one in another week or two. Like, there's just so shy to pull the trigger on the card from the new set. It's but the most glaringly obvious business decision of all time. Yeah. There's a clearly broken card we just introduced as a Mythic Rare in two different versions. It's got a showcase version and an oral version, so twice as many mm-hmm. as you can get. Which we will choose not to ban, even though it's very clearly the problem. Yeah, because we haven't even had the week to sell backs from them yet. (laughs) And it's so monstrous because if you don't ban it in standard, then people, you know, buy wild cards on arena or buy packs for standard or buy singles that result in packs being opened so that they can be sold. You don't ban it in standard. The only additional purchases that occur because of that are people who are buying the card for standard. People who want the card for Commander or Modern or Pioneer or whatever aren't affected by the lack of the standard ban. So the only additional sales you get are people buying it for standard because they feel that they have to, and it's just going to get banned in a week or two. Yeah, it's horrendous. And like people are kind of adapting right now in what I would dub as the honeymoon period, where people are like trying to play rogues and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Which is cool, because Uro, side note, Uro did need to get banned. Uro is an abomination. Oh, for sure. <laughs> so I'm not like saying that banning Uro is bad. Uro Listen, should I have never enjoyed have crushing people in games with Uro. And I mean, I've certainly lost to a number of Uros, but I, I feel like I've come out on the upside of many matches that I've played that involve Uro. But it's too... It, not only too powerful, but invalidated too many strategies. I think the main, yeah, that that is the main problem with Uro to me is that it makes the, it boils the game down into always reaching the same end state, mm-hmm. and you can't get around it. Like it yeah. attacks on every single angle, so yeah. there's just it always gets to that point because it helps you get to that point, and then you get there and you can't lose because you're gaining too much life, you're drawing too many cards, you have a giant creature. Like, it just yeah. does way too much. It should not really have been printed with everything it does. Honestly, if they just hadn't put the life gain on there, I think there's a chance that the card would have been, like, fine. I think it would have been good and not insane. Yeah, you just easily gain 9 to 15 life off of it over the course of a game. And that's just too much. Yeah, a lot of the time I'm... I play these Euro decks or I watch them... And it's really close, or it would be if I didn't have six extra life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it, right. I, it buys me another time to attack with Uro, which gains me more life, draws me another card, and then it's just the game's over from there. Yep. And Omnath does a really similar thing. Even if you're not doing a good Omnath, even if your hand has lined up poorly to exploit Omnath, you're just gaining four life a turn. That's so much life. It's an enormous amount of life. And on a 4-4 cantripper. Yes. I actually yeah, like honestly. I like Omnath as like an idea. I think it's cool that they went for like a powerful four-color card mm-hmm. that 
you can play in a bunch of different shells, but they went way too far. Overshot just a tad. Yeah. I So the card that's like f- four mana, four, four draw card, landfall, gain four life. Like that's a card that would see a ton of play. Yeah, that card's good. Yeah. I've learned from Rogue Refiner and even Elvish Visionary, to be honest, that just mm-hmm. having a body that gets you through your deck faster, it's value. Especially yeah. with combat stats like Rogue Refiner, which got banned. And Omnath's mm-hmm. a 4-4, which does way more than giving two energy. Yeah. Yeah, compare Omnath to Siege Rhino. Like, it does the Siege Rhino thing, but more life, and also it does ten other things. Well, see, I've never... I wasn't playing Standard when Siege Rhino was good. Like, I wasn't mm-hmm. playing Magic in Cons of Tarkir or uh, Battle of Zendikar. I came in like a Shadows of Innershot again. So I missed like a little a, a year of Siege Rhino. So I'd never played Standard with Siege Rhino in it. And yeah. by the time I was playing Modern again, Siege Rhino wasn't good anymore because the Birthing Cod had been banned. So literally every time I've seen a Siege Rhino, it's been irrelevant as hell. <laughs> like I just can't respect the card, even though I know it has this pedigree of like very good yeah. standard for years. It would not be good in the standard. Well, that's, you can't compete that's with not enough. It's very difficult to compete with Omnath because it just generates twice as much mana. <sighs> I'm kind of wondering if because Escape to the Wilds and Genesis Ultimatum enables Omnath to just go ham with mana. Mhm. I wonder what the format would look like if Omnath was printed and we didn't have, like, massive mana sinks. And I think that format's probably, like, worse. Not, I mean, not... It's probably healthier, but I like mm-hmm. having good mana sinks and really expensive spells that are impactful way mm-hmm. more than I do, like, enabling those to get cast with yeah. shocking yeah. regularity. No, I mean, having Escape to the Wilds in the format to put into Team or Adventures is good. Like, I think that is a good thing. I think that, obviously, Omnath is just straight up too strong for a number of reasons. Number one, I don't think they should be putting life gain onto ramp cards. Number two, I don't think you should really be drawing a bunch of cards off of your ramp cards either. And just generally, you're paying way too little for what you're getting out of Omnath. Like, Omnath sets up kind of an interesting quest for you to accomplish like step one is you got to make white blue red green step two is you got to landfall a bunch of times one of those like things that you need one of those like like quest objectives needs to be a lot harder than it actually is in the standard with triomes and pathways it's just way too easy to cast it and then given the number of ways we have to trigger it it's just way too easy to trigger it. Like, there's no difficulty in doing the Omnath stuff, and that's why we see it in several different shells in Standard. It's just like, oh yeah, this just works here, huh? And and it does. I, I don't think... Triomes are really good, don't get me wrong, but I don't think there's been a Standard in the past a long time that couldn't cast mm-hmm. a four-color card if it was only playing, like, three colors main deck. Mm-hmm. Like, because white is the color you can just throw away in the vast majority of these Omnath decks. And I don't want to go back to pitiful mana bases like we had, like in Mirrodin Kamigawa or whatever, where you had actual zero dual lands, maybe a Glimmer Void, and that's it. That's all you get. Because mm-hmm. that's painful. <laughs> well, I mean, 
if we were operating off of like all dual lands, I think it would be difficult to do Omnath. I think the fact that we have Fable Passage in there on top of it is what like puts it over the top into both castability and also the it make it's obviously so good after you have the Omnath in play. Yeah, I agree, but I think Fabled Passage Evolving Wilds, those cards should just always be in standard. Sure, sure. I I I don't disagree, but there is something about like how you have to reevaluate when the mana is this good. You have to reevaluate like is costing four different colors of mana as big of a cost as we're clearly identifying it as, and it's just not. Yeah, that that was the problem. I think Wizards, and honestly, the public is guilty of this as well. But I think Wizards is kind of making and testing these cards under an older paradigm. Where mm-hmm. you played mostly two colors, stretched to three. Uh, your value cards were kind of look what they were four years ago. And people, this is like before companions, before all that. It's People are just constantly evaluating how magic has changed over the years. And I think we're way closer in the last you know year and a half, two years, than we've ever been. I've had to learn unlearn a lot of stuff, especially with the London Mulligan. Mm-hmm. Whereas I don't sure wizards is quite there yet because they have to work so far ahead and they don't have nearly as many people working as we do sure and and i think the mistakes are somewhat correlated to kind of an older understanding of the game because this omnath was created like a year and a half ago by mm-hmm. r&d and that was like a year and a half ago of our knowledge and even further for them <laughs> and that's why it's really disappointing that the article that we got on the ban was exactly what you said you didn't want to see. Yeah, and funny, I agree huh? with you. We got exactly just the Ian Duke, like, all right, looks like Uro is too good, and we'll be keeping an eye on the numbers for Omnath. And nothing about, like, how did we get here? How do we have this card that is free in cards and mana, and if you untap with it, you win the game? Like, what are the mistakes that led us to that point? What are we doing to keep those mistakes around nothing about that absolutely nothing it just makes me believe that they just don't want to admit they're wrong which is horrible because everyone knows they're wrong (laughs) i mean don't want to admit they're wrong and also like probably know about some stuff coming down the pipeline that is too late to fix and like here's omnath too guys (laughs) you excited I, i mean i i just think that it is it would be incredibly naive to think that this isn't just going to happen again in the next set. There's going to be some card that's just way too good. It's like um, almost a lock at this point. Yeah, and it doesn't give me a lot of confidence either. All the new product ways to buy magic they're pushing out, like set boosters and all that stuff, they like very clearly have mandates to sell more cards. Mm-hmm. So that's going to lead to power creep in some form or another too. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I mean, you see that signified by a lot of the stuff that happened like clearly the ban was motivated entirely by an understanding of what different choices they could have made would have on the sales that they care about and honestly the only reason this is a well i guess i shouldn't say the only reason but one of the reasons this is a huge issue is because of covid like i have to play if i want to play magic i have to play on arena or magic online arena is far more popular so standards the format standard and historic both of which are largely defined by what's standard legal mm-hmm. that means if standard sucks 
I just like have to decide whether magic is worth it, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. not great. <laughs> and so you would hope that that means that they're going to focus really hard on making standard good, since that's the main way that everybody is allowed to play magic. But clearly, but that instead, has been... I think they're. I'm sorry, I don't want to interrupt you. I mean, it's clearly like that is being outweighed, and they think that that's not what actually maximizes. Like, I, I think that you have a couple of easy conclusions to get to here. Like, number one, they are based in a profit maximization world. Like, that is the goal, very obviously. And then number two, the thing that they believe will maximize the profits is not creating a good standard and creating a trust that standard will continue to be good. It is doing the things that they think are going to lead to the most sales short term based on not banning this card. And I don't know exactly what that the profit centers are and where they are maximizing the profits from, but clearly they think that this is going to lead to more sales. And it's disappointing because what if this continues and everyone standard just loses 60% of its player base because no one wants to play with this deck anymore. Then they ban on math. But I've already moved on to like, you know, I'm playing Hades now, so I'm not going to buy more cards. It's just like incredibly short-sighted. So I also feel that it is incredibly short-sighted, but there, you know, we may be getting played pretty hard here and their research might show like, yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter. People will come back to magic once it's a thing they want to play again, or people don't stop playing standard on arena in significant numbers just because it's bad. So like maybe it just doesn't really affect things that much. And so they just want people to want the chase rare from the set. And that's more important. The short-term losses that they take or the long-term losses in, in confidence or whatever, maybe literally don't affect how much stuff they're selling in appreciable amounts. Yep, that could be true. But it sucks for us. Yeah, I mean, it, it does suck for us. It feels really bad. On a similar note, they also announced... <laughs> I Pretty much just the least for me product they have ever announced in Magic the Gathering. Which is the Walking Dead secret lair. Yep. I explain what it is. <laughs> I don't know that I can. It's it sounds like a fever dream to be quite honest. It sounds like a thing that like you wake up from it and you're like, "What the hell was my <laughs> brain like making these connections with?" Like there was a magic card that was just Glenn from The Walking Dead and not like a Godzilla like special not like a Glenn version of a card that are there's just Glenn and 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 that it turns out that's what it is and you can't get them in booster packs you just got to buy the secret lair for these mechanically unique cards that are not magic cards they are literally just the characters from the walking dead given mana costs and power and toughness and text and they are cards that you're allowed to play in legacy and vintage and casual and they're just the Walking Dead characters years after the Walking Dead was relevant in pop culture. Yeah, and I don't think these secret layers have that big of a turnaround compared to like the other products, right? 
No, they, they happened pretty... Right, this wasn't in development for, like, years, and then they were like, shoot, looks like people have stopped... Like, haven't... Didn't people stop watching The Walking Dead, like, five years ago? I, like, am I crazy? I don't know. So I watched, like, the first season, or maybe not even that, all of the first season. But that was... I don't know. Let me Google when The Walking Dead released, because that's the last I time like... I watched any episodes of it. Right. I feel like it's been on forever, and it's been irrelevant for 80% of its life. Like, everybody hated it after, like, 20, season two. 2010 is the first... October 2010 is the first season. Right. And starting, like, around season three or four, everybody got really bored with it. So at least, like, five or six years ago was the last time it was like, yeah, The Walking Dead. I love I, that. I don't know. what the, One of the funniest comments I read, which because it really resonated with me, was... Someone on my Twitter time was like, I saw these Walking Dead cards, and I literally thought they were just cards from a custom card creation yes. forum. That's exactly what they look <laughs> because like. Because they're the just art pop so... culture art, like pasted right. on a photocopied magic card that cards are just very boring or like bland. It's just, I, why? <laughs> I just don't understand what the goals are with this thing. I don't understand what the audience is. I don't understand. Like, they're going to look bad in a game of Magic the Gathering. Normally, when I don't understand who the audience this stuff is for, I just assume it's for, like, EDH or casuals. Like, stuff that I don't really understand. But from what I've gathered online, the EDH crowd hates this. Awesome. Because it's a bunch... Everybody loudly hates this stuff. Because it's a bunch of mechanically unique legendary creatures that are all legal. But very few people will have, especially because Secret Lair doesn't even ship to every country. It ships to like Jeez. 40 countries. That's atrocious. So some portion of the world just will not ever have these cards. And EDH people do not want to play with anyone who has these cards. And it's such a... I, I know that like Slippery Slope is a logical fallacy or whatever. But the thing that this leads to is just selling us cards. Selling us individual cards and deciding that these are expensive cards. <laughs> That's what like, the Secret Lair Fetchlands were, though, right? Yeah, but at least I've got my Arid Maces and my Verdant Catacombs. But what happens when it's like a box topper thing and it's like, hee hee, these cards are legal and standard and brawl and they're, they're not going to be, you know, you won't really need them for standard, but then one is Kenrith, the return Or Corvold. An actual brawl card. An actual brawl card. Yeah, yeah. And and then, you know, unlikely that one of these Walking Dead cards specifically becomes legacy playable, but if it does, holy crap, also, what a problem. Side note on these Walking Dead cards, they... So a bunch of them make zombies, zombie tokens, like 2-2 zombie tokens, but they don't say they make 2-2 zombie tokens on the card. They just say, create two walkers. And I'm like... It's a- Atrocious. That is not something I want to read on a magic card. Because, what? <laughs> yeah. No. Absolutely atrocious. Like, you wouldn't know what the card does by... And, I mean, not that that is a rule for magic cards. You don't have to know what every magic card does by reading it. But we have language in the game for doing that. For creating a 2-2 zombie. They're also mechanically unique cards, right? So, they're essentially first printings. And they should say mm-hmm. what they do on them. And it's not like... Yeah. The card says, when I enter the battlefield, create two, two, two black walker tokens. 
It just says create two walkers, literally verbatim. Create two walkers. Yeah. And I'm just like, so I'll just grab these hanger back walkers out of my box. I looked at it because I, you know, it's been nine years since I ever watched the show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I just looked at it. And I'm like, what is a walker? Are these, <laughs> are these supposed to be zombie tokens? Because <laughs> that's the theme, right? And then I eventually, it took me a long time, maybe an hour, to actually find the walker token. And it was just a 2 2 black zombie. I, I'm shaking my head right now. Y- y'all can't see it, but this is just, I don't know. I can't, I don't know what the good thing about the product is. What's the like reason, what, what's the payoff here? I, I don't see an upside. I don't have an optimistic evaluation of this thing. I don't have a, a, a devil's advocate play here. It just seems all bad and has really bad implications going forward where they are now willing to print and sell us magic cards that you can't get anywhere else. Yeah, and that's a horrible thing that I do not want. No. Because if there's anything I've learned from Wizards of the Coast in the last like year, two years, it's that now they just really care about making money more than ever before. Yeah, and it's not like that's... I don't know how much you can say that's like a really new thing. They've always been... A company they've always been a corporation they've been owned by hasbro for a long time you know they are not your friend they haven't been for a long time like their goal is to get you to pay them money and i mean that's that is the relationship that it can be fine and doesn't necessarily have to be done in like an abusive way i feel like we're in abusive territory now right i think we are getting to the point where just the the primacy of that goal over you know, having a healthy standard isn't a goal in and of itself. It's only a goal insofar as it drives card sales. And if their data says, like, it, yeah, it doesn't affect card sales, then they have no interest in creating a good standard for its own sake. So we're left really out in the cold. And who knows how much this ends up applying to. Get these sweet new, you know, we're... Finally going to print paper dual land. We're going to reprint the dual lands. Plateau and such? Yeah, we're going to reprint the original duels, but the only way to get them is in a secret layer. Secret layers, you know, whatever they want to price it at and you'll pay it. The rare reserved list loophole that says they can reprint them in a secret layer. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Because <laughs> they make the rules. Like It's not like they have to abide by the reserved list. They just said they have. They will. Right. And and all of the concerns of all of the like people who are talking about how wizards would get sued or whatever, it's just not going to happen. No. And and if they are making that choice to like go back on their word to break the reserve list to sell yeah, in this hypothetical, they break their word, start selling a bunch of reserve list cards as secret layers for an exorbitant price, like even a thousand dollars for a set of ten dual lands. Yeah, which they just could. Which easily. they just easily could do. Let's say this happens. Like, that means that they've already done the analysis of like how many people would sue them and what settlements could possibly be if they even have to. And that's just going to make them more money to do it. So they're right. going to. So. Right. Right, exactly. Yes, because we have... You're totally right. When we Because we've entered this world where like every decision is so clearly based on a profit calculus. 
that is exactly what that means is like the only reason they haven't abolished the reserve list yet is because they haven't figured out a way to guarantee that it will be profitable to do it. And once they hit there, they will. And since there has been some barrier to doing it, clearly they are worried about something or they would have abandoned it by now in order to make some money off of something with dual lands in it. That means that the price that the reserve list cards that you're going to be able to get from Wizards whenever they do it, it's going to be exorbitant. You are going to be just flinging money at them in order to like just dig in real deep for these things, or else they, they won't do it. Whew. Yeah, it's a good thing we saved this for lots, right? <laughs> yeah. It's exhausting talking about this it's it just feels so i mean i there's been so much stuff going on generally like outside of magic that makes me feel so like hopeless and dejected about it and it is doubly exhausting that my my relief like the thing that i do for fun also just is giving me these really bad indicators these like Things that are bad, things that are unfun in the immediate, and also just make me look forward and be like, I don't really see where this goes in a good way. Like, you know, I don't see a way out of climate change. I don't see a way out of Wizards of the Coast just doing real nonsense to us. Yep, I'm real excited to see what the next secret layer has in store, because I hate... Where do we go from here? I don't know. They they kind of get worse and worse. <laughs> like I I literally bought the last secret layer, the Yargo one. I thought that was pretty cool. I bought it. Okay, yeah, that one was cute and and fun for sure. But, like that's the kind of thing that they should be doing with secret layers. Yeah, I like those secret layers. Clearly, they're 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 just they're cosmetics. They're like you know vanity cosmetics that if you think they're cool, then you can if and if you think they're cool enough that they're worth the money, you get them. But Fetchland secret layers. Cards. Yeah, the Fetchland one was real not great. Mechanically unique cards, really bad. Once they're either mechanically unique cards that are legal in tournament formats and good enough for those formats, that's a disaster, I believe, uh, and just like a real problem for players. Or if it's reprints of really desirable cards that that becomes like the only reasonable way of getting them then that's, I mean, that's the same thing as printing me mechanically unique cards, really. But I'm just imagining a world where some mechanically unique secret layer card is just costed or has the right power and toughness or some aspect about it is good enough such that it is the best in slot for a legacy deck. Like, maybe it's mm -hmm. the best card you can pitch to Force Will, but it's also a creature with power one or whatever for anything mm -hmm. that matters like that. Not the actual text on the card, but just its characteristics... <laughs> Sure. And all of a sudden, if you want the best version of that deck, you have to find secret layer glens or whatever. <laughs> right. And that would be absolutely horrific. And because you know Wizards is not thinking about, like, gotta make these cards, you know, pretty close to other cards. I think, I like, when I was talking about this on Twitter, I think uh, Michael Mapson pointed out, like, yeah, you know, I mean, in Legacy, like, reserve list prices are out of control anyways, so it wouldn't be, like, that big of a hit. But it's, like, it would be, like, extra dual lands that you have to get for your Legacy deck, basically. Well, what if you find out about it, like, uh, an hour 
a day before the tournament. Well, yeah, and I mean, you're already at the venue, and you just right. can't oh, find sure. one because no one has it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but but it's also like that. That would be the same thing for a common. I, mean, I guess you would know that you need your Volks beforehand. But yes, <laughs> and honestly, if you if honestly if I just roll up into any legacy SCG open or GP, and I need to find. 12 of volcanic islands because i need a playset for myself and two friends right, there's, there's i can find dual lands <laughs> yes that's true <sighs> i don't know man i'm worried unlike climate change you do have the option of just saying no to this and just being like just don't really need to play magic for a while or anymore and their decisions that we find ugly and abusive and stuff those are all premised on people not having that reaction to them. And it's a little tough for me because I'm like pretty invested here. Like I want, I like doing this podcast. I like covering tournaments. I'm kind of locked into this for a while, but not everybody is. It just means that like my level of things that would make me walk away is a little higher than it would be otherwise. But for people listening to the podcast rather than recording it, I don't know. It may be, you know, you get to consider and you get to think about whether it's worth continuing to play each time Wizards makes one of these decisions that makes your play experience worse. And that, the fact that we're at that sentence means that I just wish Wizards focused so much less on damage control and way more on making fun gameplay. Yeah. That's it. Like, am I going to be yeah. excited? What's the next set? Uh, call time? I am literally excited to see what cards they put in call time. Because I like new magic cards. But mm-hmm. I care nothing for anything between September and, you know, January when those things come out. I don't need, like, six secret layers to be spoiled of things I don't care about. Or even if there's one I do, like, it's not... That's not what keeps me in magic. Right, right. I like seeing what new cards do to the formats that I play. And I like That's... I like playing the formats, too, a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And if you make it so that I can't, like when Omnath is here, mm-hmm. and you're not answering it, that's pretty bad for my engagement of Magic. Yeah. I mean, we didn't talk about, like, what things could happen to this format. There is a sliver of possibility that they were right with this ban, that, I mean, you're looking at me like that. There's a tiny sliver of possibility. You can now engage with these Omnath decks in an interactive, disruptive way. That, you know, Uro was the plan, like, C for the Omnath decks. It was an explore that was fine, but also gave a plan for if you got hit with hand disruption and mystical disputes and weren't able to put together your ramp plan and, and or your genesis ultimatum or anything like that well then you just beat them with a 6-6 cantrip creature from your graveyard and without that anymore maybe some combination of disruptive spells and pressure can actually you know rogues i guess are the go-to it is possible like that is a route that is not just immediately cut off there is a universe where maybe standard finds a way and i have seen some people that are like yeah just made mythic like i've seen multiple just made mythic posts with non-omnath decks which doesn't mean a ton 
but it does mean it's not impossible to win matches without Omnath in your deck. But we'll see, you know, after this weekend, and then we've got the season finals, or the season, whatever. The season championship, or the Zendikar championship, I think it's what it's called. Or the grand finals. Whatever, I can't keep track. It's like 16 players, it's like, it's it's like 32 players, it's like the top 16 from the past two what whatever they were called pro tour things and it is half historic and half standard and maybe it'll be a disaster maybe things will be a little sorted i think that's Who gonna knows? be i don't think they'll change the format before then right because it's in a few weeks it's in a week and a half it's not it's the weekend after this coming weekend okay so i don't think they'll change the format before then mm-hmm. but if it turns out to be a disaster, and from what I've heard of just like looking at Twitter and seeing what people are doing, people aren't yeah. really testing standard. They just are pretty much all resigned to playing Omnath mm-hmm. or making other people do the work close enough to when they have to start testing that it's valid <laughs> to explore other non-Omnath things. Yeah, And if, if that ends up not being the case, everyone just plays Omnath at the tournament. Now Watsy has to cover their own tournament where the decks are like all on math and then we'll go from there you know maybe they'll finally be right. yep i mean the people making decisions about that stuff are different from the people who are on the coverage team for the tournament oh, it just so. makes me feel bad for the coverage team not yeah for sure not that like it's their fault that's not what i meant to imply <laughs> right right but you know certainly some number of the people who are either the decision makers or connected to the decision makers will be watching the tournament and probably seeing a kind of miserable omnath triggering play experience i don't know what's gonna happen i do feel my unwavering love for magic the gathering wavering more and more lately yeah i i understand it wouldn't be as big of a problem if i could just play magic like in go to thursday night modern yeah because then i would just do that forever right yeah and it's really unfortunate that covid has just kind of stopped all of that like i don't get to do that anymore and that's what i derive the most enjoyment from if we could just go play some iqs we could just keep ignoring standard like like we have been for like we always did before (laughs) this area has though there was a store that started doing like monthly standard iqs and those were actually fun because i didn't have to play standard but once a month and i really enjoyed that but it was fun for like years. We just had zero standard locals of, of anything. So it was just all modern all the time. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> or Legacy, if Atomic was doing stuff. Yeah. Shoot, what was I going to say? You're going to say it's it. time to open the mailbag. Oh, yeah. It's time to open the mailbag. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Great idea, Chris. Yeah, let's, let's, let's hit up a, a listener question or two. Yeah. I There's actually like several... A bunch of quick ones. Let me okay. scroll to them. Proggy Boog asks, is it all burning? Is it all burning? The land continues to burn. I thought about tweeting just like in response to the ban announcement, just a like super zoomed in screenshot of <laughs> the reminder text of Obsidian Fireheart. Just Uro is banned, parentheses, the land continues to burn. I probably should have done that, but too late now. You can you can save for it the next ban announcement. 
<laughs> well, but if they ban Omnath, then it doesn't even make any sense. It needs to be a really bad ban where they miss stuff. Which is totally possible that that happens. I mean, yeah, like, we kind of answered this a little bit. I am feeling less and less confident that Magic is going to make decisions that make me happy as a player. I think it is currently all birding, and we're just praying for rain. <laughs> Alright, um, next one, R- real quick. Sean Hunter, heads or tails when flipping for Mana Crypt? I call heads pretty much every time. I'll like, maybe 100% of the time when I'm flipping a coin. You never go to tails? No. Even though tails never fails? Well, I don't usually use rhymes for like my guiding philosophies in life. Ooh. I usually just flip heads just because I don't want to, you know... I don't know. Heads feels luckier to me. All right. So I also always call heads. If I'm feeling, or if I'm playing on Magic Online, whatever is closest to my cursor, like Mm. at any given point, I will click any button that is closest to me. Yeah. If I can just click like the button that I have mapped to OK on my keyboard, if I can just hit that, then that's usually what I'll do on Moto. That makes sense. And that's, that's heads or tails agnostic. Like, I don't care if that button is heads. I don't care if it's tails. I will click it if it's closest. Because it's not really heads or tails when it's online. It's only really heads or tails when it's in front of you on a physical coin. If you want to get, like, particularly spicy, you could do, like, the Fibonacci sequence and just go, like, heads, tails, tails, heads, tails, tails, heads, tails, tails. Or flip it if Mm -hmm. you want to assign your values the other way. Because that's the golden ratio. It's got to be right. Yeah. What what is the right sequence of heads and tails calls that you up your percentage of getting it? (laughs) Nick Ferentinos asks, peanut butter on top or jelly on top when I'm making a PB&J? I very rarely eat peanut butter and jelly. I don't keep peanut butter and jelly around in my house. But I think that it is peanut butter on the bottom and jelly on top. Is there a reason for that or just that's what you do? It's just what I do. But I, I think it's generally because I would grab peanut butter first. That just because it's the first in the order of the name of the sandwich, so my mental shortcut will be grab the peanut butter and then get the jelly out of the fridge, <laughs> and then you just sort of put the jelly side on top of the peanut butter side, and you're good to go. Okay, I actually do not like peanut butter or jelly, so I <laughs> don't eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches at all. I hate peanut butter, which is weird because I love peanuts. It's a texture thing, I think. Mm. <laughs> So not even crunchy peanut butter? Uh, no. Interesting. I'm not huge. I can't remember the last time I had peanut butter. I mean, I can't either, but I don't eat it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, what are important things to focus on when trying to get an edge in one deck formats, says Anti-Trumpet? This could be a longer answer, but honestly, the most important thing to focus on is playing the mirror well. Like, you don't have to figure out, like, secret tech or what scenario is going to come up every once in a while that you'll figure out and your opponents won't. Honestly, just play the best deck, play it good, play it well, and notice the patterns that come up game after game that you can take advantage of every time that maybe the average player won't. Because that's what's going to get your win percentage up over and over and over again. You just need to have really good fundamentals and technical skill. Practice the hell out of the mirror. And I I, I think, like, one thing I want to emphasize is 
there is a at, at some point a long time ago the word like testing became like the way that you talk like when you're prepping for a tournament you're testing and that implies like a whole list of things when you're testing for a tournament you are figuring out the best configuration you are figuring out like which decks are good in the metagame and stuff at some point though you have to stop testing and you have to start practicing and you are iterating a thing that you need to learn how to do well and you are doing that to learn specific things and rather than learning things about the format i am practicing how to play teamer energy versus teamer energy did and I, that is a specific thing i think did i say test or did i say practice no i think you said i'm not sure what you said but this is just a problem that I have generally with, like, our uh, concept of prepping for tournaments yeah. is, like, testing is one thing. And then once you know the stuff about the format, you got to figure out what you're practicing. You have to get reps in. You have to do the thing that you're going to have to do in the tournament and be good at it. And so, yeah. I usually try to be careful with language about that. Whenever I want to just play a bunch of games, I will just usually mm -hmm. call it jamming instead of testing. Yes. Because <laughs> that's just ramming and just getting some games in and not trying to, like, really focus right. on learning anything. F figure out what your goals are. If your goals are just play games and see how cards, like, interact with each other and stuff and have fun, like, jamming, for sure. If you're figuring out, like, things about the format and what decks people are playing and what works against different decks, then that might be testing. And then if you are playing a matchup that you know you're going to need to play and you're trying to get good at that matchup, that is focused practicing. And I, I would hesitate to call that testing at that point. I think that you want to understand your goals and using, using language to describe what you're doing that accurately describes what you're doing helps you. It's important, I think. I think it really matters. It just lets... not that that had any anything to do with the question that was asked. It's an but important it's something life that I've skill, about. honestly. You don't want to get you don't want to trick yourself into being in a framework you're not like prepared mm -hmm. to be in just because you're calling it the wrong thing. Yeah, opposed to this idea that the most important I, I the most important thing is being good at the mirror, just playing it. Uh, we did see Dylan win the standard challenge by playing a version of the deck with a card that was broken wide open in the mirror, which was Ruin Crab, because the deck specifically is vulnerable along a certain axis, which is you use up a lot of the cards in your deck and you can get milled out relatively easily. Yeah, and you can always be on the lookout for those things. But I would not do that until after achieving a certain level of overcompetency in the mirror. Like, you got to be comfortable in that first so you can at least understand the base of what's happening and then start branching out. I would not start looking for the best version of the de best deck that's best in the mirror first. I would not do that. For sure. Because even yeah. if it is, a lot of the times it's not like Ruin Crab where it's, like, pretty obvious after the fact. <laughs> right. You More often it's Vizier of Many Faces in the Teamer Energy Mirror. And you learn that by practicing the matchup and you're like, holy crap, Vizier is really good. And then you end up with a bunch of them in your 75 because of that. I'm going to answer the last part of this question because I think it's like the most one. But Prodigal Engineer asks, Team Lotus Black started a podcast now to fix the game. What are some of the grindcast solutions? That could be its own podcast. So focusing oh, yeah. on the second I mean, they started this. a whole podcast about it. So. <laughs> 
one comment on Twitter was that independent band lists by local formats could help. Is that viable? Would it help? My immediate response is generally that does not work. It doesn't work in Commander, the casual format. Like, yes, you can... Like, the, the thing that people say when people have problems with the rules committee stuff is like, but you can, like, play it however you want. But that's just not true when you, like, go to a store where you don't really know it. You don't get to just bring the rules with you, even in that casual format. Having a patchwork of different formats in different places, like, formats don't really exist until Wizards makes them exist and supports them. Commander being the obvious exception to that, but then it became even more popular after Wizards gave it support. And generally... Nobody played Historic until Wizards gave it actual support. The various, like, fix formats that were in between Standard and Modern, like, never really caught on. Tiny Leaders never really caught on as a cat. Like, these things don't happen until something standardizes them and makes gives them traction with a broad audience. And I think that localized ban lists or independent ban lists and stuff... You, you just can't operate outside of the machine that's in place. I agree 100%. You can't have a bunch of local ban list formats because that really isolates everything. And it's not yeah. sustainable. Like, I can't play in, like, Charlotte, North Carolina. If I wanted to just... If I was based in Charlotte and I wanted to drive down to Wilmington on the other side of the state... And they just have a different ban list, and I don't mm. know it unless I have to like do a bunch of prep work and then figure out how it's different and then change everything I've been playing with. It's just so much work that yeah, doesn't have the, any... The, yeah, go the ahead. IQ list pop up on Goldfish, and you're like, ooh, look at this neat deck. And then you're like, oh, wait, but Lotus Cobra is banned in their standards, so none of these decks matter. Yeah, or look at this deck, but no one is able to play Surgical Extraction, so <laughs> Charbelcher won. <laughs> Like, and you just don't know because no one's playing a surgical and you're just like, oh, maybe they got lucky. So, no, yep. I don't think that particular fix is viable. As far as our solutions, we might tackle that later. Not not today. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to close out with this question because I think it's a really good closing question. Okay. Wombo Combo 2020 asks, how do I pledge money to Patreon? <laughs> <laughs> Non-sponsored question <laughs> no we didn't ask him to ask this question just being very supportive if you want to lend us some support head to patreon.com slash mtg grindcast uh that is how we get your questions on the show you join the patreon join the discord ask some questions we will do our best to answer it and if you want to pledge any amount of money even if it's not an actual tier you can pledge however much money you want but in our tiers, you know, you can get different stuff. You can get pins, tokens, playmats sent out to you. Enter the Discord. We are about to record our next uh, MTG Grind class episode. Although, actually, we might be a little more focused rather than on a generalized topic. I think we're going to do a limited episode for our patron episode. So you get access to those, and it's we do really appreciate it. The, the support is super helpful to us to keep doing this. The money pretty much entirely goes back into patreon stuff and paying for web hosting and just the various expenses that pop up with doing a podcast like this and a minor point of clarification i want to specify that the the podcast the extra bonus podcast would be 
about a limited format, not just that it's a limited episode. Right. We're gonna, like we're gonna do one on <laughs> Zendikar Rising because I don't really want to play any standard, so I'm guaranteed to draft a to jam a bunch of Zendikar Rising drafts, so we might as well talk about it. Yeah, same. Well, Wombo Combo, thank you for that question. Saved me from having to do that as part of the closing of the episode, so I'm probably going to stumble a little bit since I'll have a big gap where I usually pub the Patreon. <laughs> but thank you so much to everybody for listening. We really, really appreciate your time. If you want to find us online, I'm tweeting from at CCR underscore Grandcast. Lee is also on Twitter. I'm at Lee McLeo. Yeah, if you want to pledge the Patreon, cool. <laughs> told you how to. And don't want to waste more time on that thanks so much for listening and have a great week till next time